So, you've decided to world build, huh? Well, get your wrist brace and blue light blocker glasses on, clear your schedule, and if you don't smoke and drink coffee, start doing that because you're going to want a cigarette after getting fucked this hard. But really, in all seriousness, what's up with world building? What makes it good and what makes it shitty? And, I mean, how much of it is even necessary? And even then, how do you use it in your stuff without bogging down the thing you're supposed to be doing? You know, the story. All of this and more on Why Aren't You Talking About This? Nerd. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wait Hat Nerd, sick edition this time, because holy shit, is your boy still under the weather and holding on a cough? Oh my god. I've been sick for like two weeks, giving it to my parents, and have coughed so much that I have fucking sores on the back of my tongue. And that's why I call it dedication to the craft. I mean, kinda, I did take a week off because I literally couldn't form a coherent thought for three days straight. And I'm putting out this episode late, but still. But anyways, I'll be your guide into the realm of world building. Honestly, one of my favorite things, so no joke at my expense this time. I mean, besides the fact that I can't fucking write to save my life, and I love world building, so I have 10,000 unfinished worlds I just keep upcycling into new ones. Regardless, it means this world to me, to have my voice pumping to your ears like the monster drooling on your face while it sits on your ceiling while you sleep. But with that horrifying image out of the way, make sure to download and stream the show to scare the monster away, which is the only way to stop it. And also, make sure to like, subscribe, and whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice, and send in stuff for episode 20 to talk about, because that is coming out soon. Like, very soon. And make sure to tell your friends and family about the show, only the cool ones though, no lamos here. I exclusively Lamos here. Anyways, on to the show. All right, all right. We are talking about world building, which is a big topic for me because it's a ton of fun and something I love doing and have been told I'm good at. And now that I've reiterated that about four times, uh, let's begin by talking about what it even is. So, by definition, it's the process to create a setting for your story to take place in. Which sounds vague, because it is. Because only, here's the thing. There's not really a single way to do world building, and the definition is so vague because that's all you have to do to world build. But there are some general categories to go over to help you figure out what to do. 
So the first categories are primary and secondary world building. Primary world building is when you build a world or a similar setting to the real world or with slight variations of it. This include things like alternate histories, apocalypse fiction, and contemporary fantasy. Basically, this is, is anything that doesn't require much background work and relies on your audience to fill in the gaps. Meanwhile, secondary world building is when your story takes place on a different world or in a different reality. This will include things like epic fantasy and space operas. And these require a ton of work, but give you a ton of freedom to do basically whatever you want. And these two types are really important to help you narrow down what you need to make up and guides your world building a bit more. This also helps you to figure out where your story is going to fit into the grand pantheon of fiction. Because if you do primary world building and are doing magical world fiction, it's much, e it's much easier to get that audience because you have this guiding line of building it for primary world building. But if you were to do magical world fiction using secondary world building, you're making up the rules to a world. And then you're subverting those rules by making up more rules to another world, which will probably lose you the audience almost immediately. And the thought of the amount of work that that would take gives me testicular torsion. But if this still sounds vague to you, good. It shows you have a fucking clue what you're doing. So let's talk about the four other categories of world building. And these are applicable for both of these, but you're going to have more to do for each one in the secondary world building. So first you have physical world building which is the laws of physics and all of the non-living things. This is where you'd consider your rules of magic, geology, cosmology, stars, and depending on the level of detail you want, things like gravity, planetary orbits, and stuff like that. I mean, this also determines things like distances, travel times, and other stuff like that. This would also be the kind of world building where you figure out the importance of physical features, distances, and other things. Because you don't need to figure out the circumference of the world if you're just running something in a single small region of the world. Or if you're doing something that's basically just Earth. Or if none of this matters and there's no weird and wacky magic, and the entire story is entirely divorced from this stupid shit like distances, very much like how your parents are divorced. And yes, it is your fault. I'm, I'm kind of kidding. Maybe. Alright, so second is technological world building, which is the use and application of knowledge, levels of development, and the complexity of magic systems that exist in the setting. And magic system, in this sense, would include technology. Like in a sci-fi story, stuff like artificial gravity, force fields, and nanites essentially serve the same purpose as magic, so they're magic. And if you're mad, eat my ass. Please eat my ass. But this particular one is very important if your story leans heavily on the technology. And maybe your characters have a defining character trait around it, or if they rely heavily on it. Because what you don't want to happen is to have a character whose entire, char whose entire characterization is Mage Lamau, and then you never explain anything about magic or make it in any way important to anyone. Because if people like that character, they're going to be pissy that they don't have enough to do and if they hate that character, they're going to question why you include them in the first place and probably huck your book through a plate glass window and kill a few innocent bystanders. And you don't want blood on your hands. 
but you also don't want to take serious time building an in-depth system of magic or spending 10 fucking pages describing the metallurgy of this particular culture that has literally nothing to do with what's going on for basically the same reason. You know, much like listening to one of my friends tell a story, you know who you are, and kidding, he doesn't listen, your audience will probably sit there wide-eyed staring ahead as they hear you rattle off all of this lore, jerking yourself off while they wonder when you're going to get back on topic and talk about that character they've already ordered the poster, t-shirt, commemorative beer koozie, and limited edition pocket pussy of. And it's, it's the goblin. You know it's the goblin. You know what you were doing when you made a female goblin. Fucking pervert. Uh, third is cultural world building. This is stuff like religions, traditions, people, interpersonal relationships, diplomacy, and basically all the things that make the world go around. You know, like fat bottom girls. But this is everything that society has, and honestly, I think this is the most important one out of the four. Because this is probably the biggest source of conflict. Doing a war story, then you need political systems, inequalities and tensions, and people getting pissed at each other. Doing a romantic drama? Well, then you better create a system of codes, symbols, and how people talk to each other like a good little Victorian author you are. And it's also important to ask how major, how major and important these are in your world, how the plot responds to these cultural things, and also how important they are to the relationships of your characters. And how do your characters fit into this culture? And fourth and finally is biological world building, which is all the life, ecology, and how they interact. Which, let's be honest, if you're a fantasy world builder, is probably where you're going to spend most, if not all, of your time. Because there's nothing we like more than putting elves everywhere and viciously defending our choice to wife wise goblins. But just like all the other ones, pay attention here to the level of detail you need on how these things interact. Although, even if you're doing the bare minimum, you should probably put some actual hard thought into, into the perspective of non-human sentient creatures. Because if you do all the shit that we talked about back in episode 3, you know, the one about race, that I told you not to do, then you're going to look like a real asshole, basically entirely ignoring what other cultures think about things. <clears throat> But also, now that we've covered those, I have a controversial thought for you. How much world building do you need? Do you need to actually spend hours, days, weeks, or even years creating a world that feels lived in? Are we all just lying to each other and saying that you need to have more world building notes than actual pages of your book in order to be a good writer? Well, I mean, since I wrote that, I can tell you that the answer is yes. Yes, we are. Because most readers, players, and audiences aren't going to give two shits of a witch's tit about every third tree branch. Tolkien could only get away with it because he was such a masterful writer that spent seven goddamn years writing The Hobbit and 17 fucking years to write Lord of the Rings. So, you know, don't worry about it. Don't make a full world history if you're just going to make a bumblefuck town political drama. Oh, and with that, I mentioned Tolkien... So I can feel the transition molt coming on, so let's get over the history before you start hearing the the carapace popping sounds. Ah. Ah. Ah.
All right, so now that I've molted uh, into my history form, uh, we can start off in 1805, where we have world building used as a term for the first time. Back in 1805, though, this wasn't a term for writing or dropping acid and telling yourself wild fucking stories you swear you'll write one day if your dad would just get off your fucking back about it. Instead, it was a term that scientists used to explain geological formations. <clears throat> so, for example, if scientists find a rock formation that looks like a single massive ball, and I don't mean testicle, I mean like a round ball, then world building would be explaining that the rock was probably formed inside another one, like a pregnancy, and the bigger rock got worn away by erosion because it's a softer kind of rock. You know, very much how the, like, pregnancies and birth works. Which is actually how that happens, by the way. If you like those conspiracies that humanity is actually a super ancient advanced civilization that blew ourselves up, and that's why there's perfectly spherical rocks everywhere, you're wrong and stupid and also like 250 years ahead of schedule. Makes you even more wrong and stupid because you time travel to the wrong decade. But from there, as the term becomes more and more popular with the intellectual types like artists and novelists, I know, fucking gross, the term starts to shift a bit. At first being used by poets and novelists to describe the world they're writing about by either using the same methodology as scientists or artsy fartying it up. I know, but hold back that puke. And throughout the late 19th century, this started entirely subsuming the definition of the word like the word sus and cringe being taken over by meme culture, until later into the 20th century, the term changes slightly again. This time away from the creator's perspective of the world into fully denoting that they're creating their own world. And the 20th century is talking time, so you know what's up. In 1930, Tolkien takes on the project of writing The Hobbit, creating a massive setting and world over the next 24 years that would change the face of fantasy. While the publishing of The Hobbit in 1937 didn't immediately change the genre forever, it was still a very popular book that got the ball rolling. But its contemporaries in the era, like George Orwell, C.S. Lewis, Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, C.L. Moore, who we've talked about before, and Leigh Brackett also, also similarly contributed to the future of world building creating seemingly very complex and lived-in worlds with consistent and sometimes interconnected lore. But the master, and and not saying mistress, because that's a term lodged directly in the kink part of my brain, of interconnected lore was U.K. Le Guin, whose career in fiction started about 1959 and continued until her death in 2018, not only created extremely popular books, poems, and short stories, but also placed many of them in shared worlds explicitly which was something that, at the time, wasn't particularly done. At least, again, not explicitly, or where direct sequels, or were direct sequels like The Lord of the Rings to The Hobbit. And all of these creators putting in such fantastic work, combined with creators inspired by them, like Gary Gygax, who create their own massive worlds that would eventually become so massive and complex as to require their own Titanic lore bibles, a lot of amateur writers begin to take heed from them. Which is smart, but unfortunately for all of us, we're not that talented. Look, there's some things we can look at back on with all those names and say, well, we're better than that. But one of the things we can't do is say we have more raw ability and talent. Because if you did, 
I'd be talking about you, fucko. But because we saw these massive worlds with deep lore and cool shit happening in the background, a lot of creators thought that that was the secret sauce, when in actuality it was drugs, Jesus, or an unbelievably deep pit of sadness. And because the field of art is a massive echo chamber of, you're the best artist has, you're the best artist I've ever seen. How are you not famous? You absolute dog water producing piece of shit. I hope your mom gets cancer. We've trained ourselves to believe that our art requires extensive world building to even come close to being good, and anything else is just absolute hot garbage. But speaking of good, let's go over to the next section. <laughs> Oh, okay, I I really got to stop molting in my room. It's starting to get gross. Look, you got to get used to the short history section. I'm really trying, but the topics on this side of the Wavehat family is more about the future, old man. Okay, so why does world building even matter? Again, first of all, it's literally the basis of your world. Even if you say it's just like our world now, but then you've just world built. World building is essentially creating your setting in, in in its entirety, like we talked about earlier. But the importance is even greater than that. Because good or bad, world building makes a massive difference in the investment and attention of your audience. Incomplete world building, where you had the beginnings of a cool thing that you just fucking abandoned like a toddler at the Chuck E. Cheese, then your audience is going to be extremely disappointed or pissed. If it's so bare bones and nothing gets explained, not only will no one understand what the fuck is happening, but are also going to be pissed because basically everything lacks context, and whenever something happens, someone will call bullshit on it, even though they don't know the rules. Or if you just straight up don't consider something. Like, for as much as, like for as much world building Tolkien did, a lot of people seem to be like, oh, just fly the big fucking birds to Mordor and get this shit done in an afternoon, which, of course, Tolkien being Tolkien, is accounted for because orcs are excellent archers. And using the eagles would have fucking killed him. But you aren't Tolkien. If you don't consider that a character, say, uses a spell that turns stone into dust and world build why they can't use that whenever they want to, and then have a protracted siege, your audience will get very rightfully either confused or angry. And even worse, YouTubers will make videos about how terrible your writing is. And, I mean, that, I'm only half-joking. Because ultimately, if someone has bad world building, that can be more of a death sentence than most other things you fuck up in your writing. Because, I mean, nowadays we're very focused on being realistic. And part of that is having an internal consistency that is top-notch. Something associated with that is strong world building. But if you neglect this aspect of your creative process, you can lean entirely you lean entirely on your audience to fill in the gaps. Which, hey, that's not really their job. I mean, sure, you can keep mysteries and secrets, but it's important that you know what the truth is. But you can't rely on your audience to make up some shit to cover for your lack of world building. And being neglectful here also means that you can't really go and write anything crazy. Because while you don't need to do a Tolkien level of world building, or even a Gygax level of world building, or a George Lucas level of world building where you just make it up as you go, you do need to tell your audience some things. 
Like, if you're writing a fantasy novel and there's just out of nowhere there's elves and never once is anything explained about them, you're relying entirely on your audience to decide what elves are. And sure, that might sound cool and personal, but if you've been in the unfiltered stream of shit that is the internet and survived for about 30 seconds, you know that people get unreasonably attached to their headcanon. I also really, really, really like dog penis. Like, a, a disturb any amount is disturbing, but, like, a disturbing amount. So, you might be thinking, ah, humans with pointy ears uh, with dog penises, while a quarter of your audience is like, ah, unimaginably powerful fey beings, while others are thinking, ah, smart and fast. And then you hit the point in your writing, and you go, and the elves fucking died. Lol. And suddenly, half your audience is done. Because the one quarter, that's impossible because they're all powerful fey that can only be killed by salt or iron. Obviously, dumbass. And the other quarter is thinking that they'd never get tricked like that or be able to dodge your arrows because they're so speedy. And again, you don't need a crazy level of world building. Just enough to understand what's happening. So, then let's talk about that. Okay, so the first thing to say is that you don't need a massive lore document before you start creating. Because ultimately, what is good world building? It's all the little details. The things that aren't obvious at first that really come together when you think about it. So in that case, it's okay to write the lore as you're creating. Just, you know, fucking write it down in a separate document so you have reference material. But... Let's actually look at someone's guide with the four C's of world building. And this was put together by Hannah Yang, writing under Pro Writing Aid. And before you ask, no, I'm not telling you my process yet. Because my process is fuck around in the sandbox until someone comes by and says, wow, that's really cool. And I say, thanks. All I was doing was making short stack goblins and felt such intense cringe that I had to justify it. This process is much more formal and actually helpful. So the first C is creative, or the baseline creation of your world. So first off, ask yourself, how much does your world deviate from the real world? And this doesn't mean just like history, landmass, and stuff like that. I mean like how far does it deviate in terms of like rules of physics, how things work, etc. And this will set you up pretty well to figure out the next part, which is conceits. So things like existence of magic, the undead, life after death, and otherworldly beings. Because, I mean, what things do you really need to say? Look, I know this is silly and we can't prove it, but fuck, man, I'm not a reality doctor, just trust me. So you don't have to explain how the laws of physics allow for someone to turn into a giant or how there's corpses walking around when they don't breathe and therefore their, bus their muscles have no way to control the flow of lactic acid and shit, and literal shit. And this combines with your window dressing changes, i.e. things that don't logically change how reality works, like languages and arts, and hard changes that fundamentally change how your world works. And basically, your process here is going through your deviations, building up the conceits and alterations, and determining how much they change the world, and building to include it. Like, for example, if you decide that dragons are real and live in basically the same place as humans, 
You need to world build how humans and dragons interact and what that means for your story. Like, if dragons are real big assholes, then it makes sense for everyone to be on edge or anything draconic, or for the powers that be to be literal dragons. Or, I mean, if they're just animals, for them to be exceedingly rare and most dedicated settlements having anti-dragon weaponry. But the most important thing to keep in mind for this point is that there are diminishing returns for the seed. This, uh, this vitamin seed. This vitamin cock. Because the more stuff you change and the weirder your world, the more likely it is for your audience to be overwhelmed. Either by feeling lost in a wonderful, wacky place, or by having information overload, and both can be very, very, very bad. The second C is complete, which is kind of self-explanatory. Basically, does the world feel lived in? Does it have a history? It's good to have layers of world building that cross-pollinate and affect each other. And here's the deal. You don't need to have a complete historical timeline of the entire planet. You also don't need to do a deep dive on every single culture, whatever culture you're focused on. As long as the stuff that's there feels interconnected. Like, it's not complete world building if you have a faction of aliens with sci-fi lasers surrounded by medieval peasants, and there's very little, if any, explanation or cross-pollinization. Third is consistent which is how well you maintain internal logic. This would be stuff like having consistent rules and laws of physics in your setting. And the lower the consistency, the less sense not only the plot, but the setting will make. So when you're world building, make sure that anything that's a rule of your setting stands out. You know, like making a list of setting rules in your uh, lore document. And the thing is that you can quote-unquote break your rules sometimes, but in a very specific way. Like, if things haven't been discovered yet, you can tell your audience that, as far as anyone knows, this is impossible. But if you make a rule that is like, by absolutely no means is this thing possible, you can't go back on that. Like, for example, if all magic, regardless of where it's sourced from, as a function of physics, pulls from the magical winds, and then you explicitly say, the winds of magic are deadened here, and magic just works as it normally does, that's inconsistent, and your audience will absolutely see that and will absolutely call you out on it. <clears throat> and the final C is compelling. This is how well you do a balancing between newness and adherence to the well-known. And basically, you have to tell your audience new and cool stuff about the world that they love to keep them interested. But you also have to keep them in their safe space of things that they know that they like. Not so much as to keep them bored, but also not so little that they get overwhelmed, have a panic attack, huck your book against the wall, and start crying to mommy. So, with your world building, make sure to include stuff that not only supports audience interest in your story, but also supports the plot and core concepts. Now, this isn't where Hannah Yang stops. She also suggests to not invent an entire world from scratch. Instead, she uses the analogy of a high-def image. Imagine if you take an artsy picture of you holding your wang like a joint. Well, the image is still believable, and you can clearly see what's going on. It's you being a weirdo. Like, you know, you can see every individual pore on the pubic mound, and also uh, the dirt underneath your fingernails. But the background is blurry. It's still there, and you believe that's there. I mean, people don't look at that picture and think that you're floating off into the void. 
but you can't see what's going on in the background clearly. I mean, is that a poster or is that two men having sex? Or is it both? I mean, the same way, start with the stuff that's very, very important to your world or the story you want to tell, which is your seed, which makes me very regretful of the joke I just made, and then domino out the other details on how it would change the world you're building. Like, for example, with the dick pic, if you are standing in front of the bed, holding your uh, your your wang, your wangledule, your wangledule, uh, like a joint, would it make sense for there to be two naked men on your bed, or would it make more sense to have a poster on the wall that kind of looks like two naked men? Uh, <laughs> uh, man, it could go either way with that. But anyways, your audience can tell that it's there. They're, your audience can tell that it's there, but there's not enough detail to get distracted from the main point. And in this case, the main point being, look at my cock. And look how weird I'm holding it. God, I'm, I'm sorry, Hannah. I, I'm... I'm just taking the, the thing they've worked very hard on. I'm disrespecting it. I apologize. Uh, but she does also, uh, but she does also cover some very common mistakes that you should avoid. First of all, you need to be cautious of borrowing too heavy. Look, I get it. Warhammer is fun, and so is D and D. But you literally can't steal their shit. Games Workshop and Wizards of the Coast are very litigious. But more than that, it won't feel authentic. It'll just feel like a rehash of the same elements and story of the original creators. And even worse than that, you'll end up accidentally including a lot of the dumb or problematic shit the original creator had by accident. Like, if you just straight up lift the dwarves from Tolkien, you get some of the weird, maybe accidental, but probably not anti-Semitism with the big noses, Hebrew-like language, and obsession with wealth. And that's probably the last thing you were intending. Right? Right? Please, for the love of God, say yes. I mean, it's also a wasted opportunity because you have unlimited freedom and you chose literally the exact thing you were inspired by. Look, inspiration is good, but make it your own for fuck's sake. Now, you also got to be very careful of using details that are too disparate. So instead of thinking, oh, this would be cool to have, and then just slapping it in willy-nilly without really thinking, take some time. Think about what kinds of details are already there. If it doesn't feel like it will work, then don't add it. Or if you have to really stretch and bend and twist and fuck things up. Because when you add details that seem random or aren't really well connected, then the gaps in world building you will inevitably have, because no one is perfect, and that includes Markiplier, I know that's an upsetting thing to think about, that really will begin to show which breaks immersion and ruins the entire thing. Like imagining Markiplier not being perfect. It kind of ruins the whole illusion of YouTube, doesn't it? Oh, God, I'm kidding. Mark could... I'm... We're not, we're not entertaining that thought right now. I watch his videos a lot. We're not having that thought right now. I need to not have that ruined for me. And having really disparate ideas can make it harder to imagine these parts working together. Like, if your world has basically 10th century Vikings, 16th century Pike and Shaw formations, Edo-era samurai, totally not space marines, and elves a la Tolkien, how the fuck is all that going to come together and not look like shit? It's like when you're cooking a soup. Like, sure, noodles, 
apples and sausage are all really good. And sure, you can put them in soup together. It'll probably be a little weird, but not that bad. But you know what else is good? Chocolate toffee bars. Well, you see, now you've ruined a perfectly slurpable in just the right way to make a misophone really hurt you soup. Next is spending way too much time on hidden details. Basically, instead of wasting precious time building the setting, instead of writing or working on the graphics on level 3, you're wasting time. Serve the story, finish the thing, and then go back later if you really want to focus down on what kind of shoes elven hookers from three continents over wear, you horny little fuck. Sorry, that was a little bit too aggressive. You horny little fuck. Uh, and even when creating stuff related to your plot, you don't necessarily have to 100% flesh it out. Uh, one, because that's next to impossible. But also because if it's going to be mentioned one time or shortened into an idiom or something, no one can really appreciate the work you did. So put the work into something that gets your story progressing. Fourth is making a static world. <clears throat> Imagine, over the course of the last 10,000 years, literally nothing has happened. That is dumb as fuck. A status quo of a hundred years barely makes sense in a setting with humans. I want you to imagine the last ten years. How much has changed besides your age in the last decade? A lot, right? Now imagine ten of those, or a thousand of those. The last one thousand decades, or ten thousand years for you normies out there that think in years, covers from 8,000 BC when humans were first starting to live as farmers to right this second. A static world literally doesn't make any kind of sense. So if you do long-spanning histories, consider how things evolve and change over time, as well as how cultures tend to drift, even over the period of a century. Even if you have a 10,000-year empire, it shouldn't look anything like it did at the start. I mean, sure, you can have some vague similarities, but don't go crazy about it. And finally is failing to use all five senses. Because, newsflash, the world isn't all visual images. Describe sounds, smells, how things feel to the touch, and what things taste like, assuming you have a story where things end up in your character's mouth a lot, and that is appropriate for the age groups you're creating for. People experience the world in a lot of different ways, and even for someone that isn't blind, they might imagine better with sound design. I mean, I know for me personally, a combination of sight and sound works really well to immerse me in stuff and really visualize it. And also, only describing things with one sense can get boring, and eventually you run out of ways to say the same thing over and over again with slight variations. You know, like how hippogriffs have hawk feathers and griffins have eagle feathers? You know, no one cares or knows what you're talking about. What does it sound like? And this will help you when you actually sit down and write things out too, because you suddenly have a reminder to include other sensory details. Something that, you know, I personally struggle a lot with. Alright, and for advice not directly from someone else. Kinda. It's what I'm supposed to tell you for how to world build. It's like the stuff on the curriculum. So, first, consider what genre you're creating in. Is it high fantasy? Cyberpunk? Steampunk? Demon punk? Cum spunk fuck punk? Sword and sorcery? These are 
all going to serve as the guiding rails for what kind of themes to include, main ideas these kind of stories will usually have, and general popular plots and aesthetics. Again, then consider your medium. What kind of thing are you making? A video game? A comic? A tabletop war game? Depending on your answer here, it changes what you should be focusing on making and will streamline your, and will streamline your creative process. <clears throat> like when making a war game, the players want to know how to, you know, not literally, kill their friends real good. Not about the agricultural output of the civilization they're playing as. They want to know why they're fighting, what they stand to lose, what makes their army unique, and the cool visuals you're building. They don't give a single fuck about the rest of it. I mean, at least not yet. Lure them with the cool stuff until you think the, until they think the lame shit is cool. That's what I do, and that hasn't worked so far, so you can trust me. I mean, once you do that, you're ready to start world building. And it's basically entirely your choice if you want to go bottom to top or top to bottom. Going from bottom up, Going from bottom up means starting small, creating small lore bits, and then organically connecting these bits together. Gathering them up like Katamara Damacy into a thing that acts like a cohesive world. The easiest way to do this, if making a narrative, is to start with characters. While making something like a war game is to start with units and then contextualize them as you go from there. But, I mean, ultimately the choice is yours because there's no right way to do it. Top-down is a lot more complicated and a bit harder, but can be fun in a few, in its own ways. I mean, in this one, you start at the upper bounds and limits of reality, your magic system, and your scale. And from this, focus down one level at a time until you get to the parts you're going to focus on. Like, say the hard cap for magic is going back and forward in time 1,000 years. Well, from here, what lets you do that? What lets you travel smaller increments? Who has used this in the past? And this can be a lot harder, but it can also be enjoyable in bursts, or as the skeleton you'll build the rest of your story on. But with that, let's talk about what I think. Well, 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 how do I feel about world building? Well, as I've said a lot, ad nauseum, in fact, I fucking love it. I often say that I'm a writer, in a way, since I write for both my podcasts, that's the truth. But more than that, I'm a world builder. I am constantly full of ideas and inundated nonstop with new ideas and new worlds to build and new things to experiment with. So much so that it's not only become annoying, but also second nature. But I've never world built the quote-unquote right way. I've never sat for weeks filling out page after page of lore documents. I've never written a full world encyclopedia, and the times that I've tried, they've been boring as hell the whole way through. But I never world-built to my story's needs. Oftentimes, I can put whatever story I want in my world. I just change the focus slightly. Now I can tell a horror story in the same world I tell a slapstick romance. And why is that? because I think it's fun to build a world that can do both. And it feels more realistic to me. Again, I don't world build right. Sometimes I have a single world building idea, I think, wow, I can do that too, but not stupid. And the next thing I know, I have 10,000 words of lore about something only vaguely related to the idea at hand, and it's just a precursor. 
just today, as of writing and recording, uh, I can just barely say that, it's 11.58 at night, Jesus Christ, I realized that how I world build is a fuck around and find out methodology. And there's one reason why it works for me and one reason only. Because I've been doing this shit since I was five years old. Because little nerdy weirdo William didn't have any fucking friends. So if you're coming into world building fresh, don't do what I do. Follow the advice in the applications. Will I? Fuck no, I don't need it. My methods work perfect for me. I'm probably ADHD as fuck, maybe I have a touch of the tism, and I am depressed and anxious as hell. How I world build is catered to how my brain works normally because my brain works normally as a creative mess that barely functions in polite society. I mean, fuck, I'm working on this episode just before midnight, the day it is supposed to drop. But I've always been complimented on my work. Why? Because I know what people care about. I want cool shit that feels familiar. And so do I. That's why I write how I do. But people assume a level of work and care that I simply don't have the bandwidth to care about when there's so much existential dread to fit into this bad boy. This bad boy that I call a brain. So, you know, world builders and storytellers out there, follow your heart and tell the story you want to tell. If your methods look like the same ones that professional writers and creators use, then you know what? Fuck my butt and call me Betsy. Good job. If it looks like mine or even more chaotic, welcome aboard, sailor. Good to have you on. Just like the Navy, you can fuck my butt, too. And that is episode 16. Hopefully you enjoyed and don't mind the very late episode. But anyways, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed. Like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytadpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. With questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults, unactuallys, your world-building methods, all the weird, horny shit you've world-built to justify, and anything else you want to tell me. Also follow me on Twitter at waytat underscore pods. Remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I talk about things that actually happen that we write like this to escape. All right. Have a good night, have fun, keep writing, and remember, tip your editor. Oh my fucking god, please tip your editor. This has been Why Are You Talking About This Nerd, I've been your host, William. Good night.